You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see a full room. We actually you know, didn't totally uh, know what to expect, so this is kind of awesome. Uh, if you have any like open seats nearby you, people can funnel on in, and you know it's well, pretty laid back morning. So, got a whole n- another table back here in the corner. If you work your way in. So today uh, is the you know the closing of our Advent season. Um, we're focusing on uh, the topic of love, and uh, you know for us, uh, even just this last week, uh, my family and I we were we were out in. Uh, Central Virginia, where Kelly and I actually met, and uh, we were along a, the Riverwalk section there. You've got the slide for that. Um, we were out, and they, they put this sign up right around the time that, you know, Kelly and I were, were moving away from there, but just thought it was a good, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We were there last week, snapped the picture, but as I was doing the sermon prep, I was like, well, there, there, there's, uh, there's something, but um, <laughs> obviously, you know, Kelly belongs in that picture, too, but we needed a picture there, but, and then... You know, how can you not? <laughs> Little hands in the pockets, fuzzy backpack. But, you know, really, you know, when I was thinking through how to talk about this topic of, of love, um, you know, there's my family right there. It's like you're almost at a loss for words to how to describe, you know, what love is. Is it, is it a feeling? Is it a commitment? You know, it's like all these things. But, you know, looking at those, those people in my life, that family, the fam- familial love, it's really hard to, to put into words or to define, you know, there's in my, in my weaker moments, these are the people that, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night worried for their well-being, worried for their safety, where, you know, and I have to give that over to God, of course, but, you know, these are the people that, I mean, you just, again, almost can't put into words, but interestingly, the Bible does give us words uh, for God's love to us, and that's what we're going to, we're going to go through today. Most of us are, have, are familiar with the Greek word agape. I mean, I don't think that's probably new to if you've been in church for any amount of time, uh, that word. But what's really interesting about this word is um, that it's the noun form of love, not the verb form, which is kind of fascinating when you think about it. And when I was, I was looking through like other Greek usage of this word in Plato and all these other places, it's almost not ever used. And you look in the concordance definition of this word, it says it's a, a strictly biblical term which is really fascinating. But like the noun form, when you think about it, what does that do? Instead of saying, so the biblical authors actually used this word, but they used it in a way that was really powerful. So instead of saying things like, I love you, the verb form, they would say, we have love for each other. And so the same kind of thing like with my family of saying, you know, I love my family. It's like, we share a love together. And what it does is it gives love like a presence in the room. And so when the authors did that, actually the definition for the word becomes their usage of it. And they use it over and over again to describe Christ's actions in his life. And so in a funny way, or in a very intentional way on their part, agape is defined by the life of Christ. And so this word is something we can actually look to, you know, the life of Christ here and get, get a definition for what love actually is. So again, this, this word agape, it's you know, kind of in contrast to other Greek terms that you've, that you've probably heard. 
Um, you know, there's also like a, a, a passion or romantic love word for that. There's a friendship love, you know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Uh, actually, another term is uh, uh, correlated with like obsession, the root word for, for mania. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting one. And then another one for mutual best interest, like a, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's the, and the root word of that is the word we use for pragmatic, pragma. So it's like a, a practical kind of relationship. It's kind of funny. You know, most of us are vaguely familiar just with our, you know, with knowing what, you know, these terms are and mean. We're, we're vaguely familiar with kind of the differences. We know that there's a, instinctually we know there's a difference between loving football and loving our, my family, you know. And so that's what we're, we're, we're looking into today It's just that agape love, that, that, uh, that God-given love. Um, so you can see, you know, just with G using Jesus as the definition of it, it's really kind of amazing because, you know, now we get to look at the life of Christ to see what he said and did in terms of love. So there's a million places you could go, of course. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I was looking into is just in Matthew 22, um, Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. I think we're, a lot of us are familiar with this. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked, asked a question to him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So what Jesus said here is there's no separation between the way that we receive love from God and the way we should be giving love to others. The only way to love others well is to know and rest in the love that God gives to us. The only way to forgive others is to know that we are forgiven ourselves. And, the, you know, the best way to accept forgiveness is to have humility and clear-sightedness to know that we require forgiveness. So Jesus saw this love commandment as being uh, the proper understanding that the whole Bible depended on. He says it right there. You know, this is depends the law and the prophets, this command. But not just proper understanding, but also this is supposed to be the very thing that defines us as believers. He spoke of it too a lot when he's talking about a new kingdom. You know, we're going through the book of Matthew right now, and Jesus talks about the kingdom of God all the time. So, but what did that actually mean? I mean, Jesus really saw himself fulfilling uh, there's a passage, particular passage that we've, that we've read before in here, but it's really striking. Jeremiah 31, when speaking of the new kingdom, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law... The law that Jesus said is based on love. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one say to his neighbor uh, and each to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that Jesus brings. You know, the old way was to go to the temple was to bring your sacrifices and offer them up. Jesus brings this new kingdom to us. He brings it to us. And that's how radical this is. is you know, Jesus fulfills this Jeremiah passage, and there's endless stories of Jesus doing this in the Bible. 
uh, particularly Matthew 8 and 9, which I'm really excited for. We're going to get into uh, in the new year. 8 and 9 is just following the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus then starts to walk out all of these commandments and show what the new kingdom is. So there's somewhat like 10 or 11 stories that follow the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus goes through one by one, and he, he displays what, what this agape love is. But here's a significant one, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, he said to his disciples, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus brought the kingdom of God to these people, that Jeremiah 31 passage. He brought it to these people, these outsiders who were likely not to go up to the temple, and even if they did in their various states of uncleanliness might not have been welcome. He brought the kingdom of God to these people, and he brings it to us. And if you think you're Jesus in this story, that's one of the things that you know, occasionally pops up. You know, we're, we're the ones needing forgiveness there. He came to us. And this is, what, this is why we celebrate Advent, the arrival of Christ. This is why it's so significant. And he didn't just, you know, change the Old Testament, or he didn't change the Old Testament at all. He, he fulfilled it in this way. And he displayed his ultimate application of agape love by sacrificially taking our punishment for the rebellion in our hearts. That noun agape, the, the love, is now completed in the moment of Christ dying for us. That's what the love is, agape. Another point is, you know, Jesus isn't compromising on sin when he brings the kingdom to people. He's not, you know, he's not ignoring it. He's not, uh, you know, the tax collectors and the sinners knew what he was about all along. There was, no, there was no ulterior motive. He was still instructing repentance and obedience. He just removed all the barriers, and he himself became the permanent payment for those sins. Two passages that are just too good not to share uh, from, from uh, Paul and John, uh, who, who are reflecting on, on this idea. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4, 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love... Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So I feel like we could say this every week, but it's probably worth a reminder for all of us, or if you haven't heard it, that's, it's, it's pretty sad, but you need to hear it. Um, God loves us. God loves you. And I know for me, one of the most significant things in my walk with Christ was realizing that I didn't need to run away from God to, or hide, you know, with my sin. I always, you know, even today, I, I still have this, uh, this thing in the back of my mind that tells me to go, I need to go punish myself before I bring something to God. And I just want to point out there's, you know, a, a couple of really cool stories uh, in the Bible that show us that's not true. One is, you, if you're familiar with the Isaiah um, 6 passage where, where Isaiah, the burning coal, story. 
So Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God and in the presence of all these, this holy place and realizing himself is an unclean person. He's not, he's not ceremonially clean to be there and he probably shouldn't be there at all. <laughs> and he recognizes that. And he says, uh, woe to me, a man of unclean lips who dwells in the presence of a people of unclean lips. He's worried that he's going to contaminate the holiness of that place. But what does God say, or the seraphim actually, who brings the coal to him and touches his lips? He says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. God's holiness, his white-hot holiness, makes unclean things clean, not the other way around. And then Jesus fulfills this as well. He shows this in Matthew 8 when he heals a leper. He touches a leper, which is obviously is a no-no. But what happens? Does Jesus become contaminated? No, his holiness goes to the leper. And we're the leper in that story. Our sin, the things that we are ashamed of, we don't need to hide from God in those things. I know just for me, that was kind of a life-changing realization. I've you know, been a Christian my whole life, and it, it wasn't until that, message that I didn't need to hide from God sunk in that things, you know, really changed in a big way for me. So again, we need to understand this because going back to the topic of love, we can't begin to love others well, truly, until we understand the self-sacrificing, God-centric, self-denying act of true love that Christ did for us. And when we understand that, then we can walk out love amongst each other perfectly. So with that, we're going to light the love candle, and then we'll go into our, uh, our feasting time. I'll talk about that a little bit too, but here we're, we'll, re- we'll light the love candle first. So as we light this love candle this morning, we remember the promises that you made to bring light to the dark places. Bring your light and love to our hearts today. And now we're going to have our, uh, our, our feast time, our hangout time. Uh, but just to put uh, some context on that, I mean, maybe you've picked up on this. I, I, it actually took me a week or two to pick up on this. But, you know, our, our normal closeout time, we, we do a couple of things. We respond to the message. We respond to what the Holy Spirit's telling us in a couple of ways. We pray, we sing, we give, and we receive. If you've picked up on it the last couple of weeks, first weekend in December, we had a focused time of prayer. Next week, we did a time of worship, time of singing. Last week, we had the joy offering. Uh, this week is the idea of, of receiving, receiving that love. And maybe you're uncomfortable calling the egg casserole we have back there communion. However, you know, the early church gathered on occasion regularly to hold these, they called them agape feasts, love feasts, where it was a time of communion because our, uh, our time together is, you know, communal. And it's to remember the Lord's Supper together. They did this to remember the sacrificial love of Christ, and in the same way that food gives sustenance to our bodies, Christ's sacrifice for us in the bread and the cup gives sustenance to our souls.